Hi, friends. This is episode 54 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us again for another episode. I can't wait to get into this episode, but I just, first of all, want to say a great big thank you for all your emails, all of your support, all your Facebook messages, and especially for all of you who took the time to join us for our video premiere. That's right. If you didn't know it yet, we have video episodes that come out every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and it was so fun on that premiere to do a live chat with so many of you. And thank you so much for sharing with your friends. Some of you have never been able to be at the Bible Lab, and so now you can see what it looks like. You can visualize it now when you're listening to the audio version. So thank you so much. If you want to watch these video podcasts, the easiest way to find them is just go to our website, thebiblelab.com, go to the episodes page, and you'll see right there the video option with the God.0 series. You don't want to miss it. Now today, as we continue in the next session of Kingdom Tales, we're going to ask a very common question. Why does God answer some prayers and not others. And when you hear what Jesus says through this kingdom tale, I think it's going to change your life. Welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, here we go. Number one, I tell my close friends that they can call me at any time of the night if they need but I don't really mean it. (laughs) Ah, you look at all these liars today. Okay, okay. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I'm seeing about 96% of you saying, no, you can call me anything. Uh, Greg says maybe. No, it says it's no. I would tell my friends that. Randy says no. I would never tell my friends that. (laughs) You're a smart man, Randy. Smart man. So all you're saying, no, you can call me any time of the night. It doesn't mean you're going to help them. It just means they can call you, right? And then you'll call someone else, wake someone else up to help your friend. Okay, I understand. Number two, if I was in a jam, I have a neighbor that I could awaken and they would help me. Oh, wow. You guys must live in a better neighborhood than me. Because I'm seeing predominantly yes. I'm seeing like 90% yes, 5% no, and 5% maybe. Your, your, neighbor, <laughs> your neighbor has the beware of dog sign on their <laughs> in the front yard, don't they? So most of you have neighbors that if you were in a gym, you could go knock on their door without the fear of getting shot and be able to ask them to help you out. Wow. It's nice being part of an affluent community. Yes. Number three, God waits until we are really serious before he grants our prayer requests. Think about this one. I'm seeing a predominant number of no's. Looks like over 95% no. I see about 10 yeses and about a dozen maybes. I don't know what this percentage is on that, but overwhelming you guys are saying, no, God doesn't wait until you're really serious. So God answers your prayers when you're not serious? 
I shouldn't ask, answer, ask that question. Okay, never mind. We're moving. We're moving. I'm, I'm meddling. I'm meddling. Okay, number four. If you are not persistent, you will not experience spiritual growth. I'm hearing grumblings, and you're taking quite a while, but I am seeing about 65% yes, about 30% no, and 5% maybe. This is a tough one, isn't it? Of course, we all just contradicted ourselves from the previous one, but I'm not going to mention that. But you're saying you have to be persistent if you want to grow. Okay, we'll talk about it. Number five, you can wear God down so that he'll give you what you're asking for. <laughs> you're pretty quick on this. Those of you that are raising cards, but I am seeing blank spots in the audience where you have to answer. You know that. Um, but I'm seeing a predominant uh, sea of no. So it looks like about 90%, well, I should say 85% no. It looked like about 15, no. 85% no, 10% yes, and a few maybes, and the rest of you were too bashful to play. We have to ask a, a question before we go into Christ's kingdom tale, his, his parable called A Friend at Midnight. We have to ask a question just to make sure we understand where we're going, because we can get really confused by, by this kingdom tale. Um, because it deals with how persistent do you have to be? What's God's response? How, how excited is he when you knock on the door and it's just a really inconvenient time? Does God want to help you? We say yes, but then we have something that happens in our life and we're like pleading with God as if he doesn't want to help us, Right? And we have to make sure we get all of our friends together because my prayer alone is not enough. I got to make sure two or three are gathered together and let's call the prayer line and let's call the pastor and let's make sure we have an email chain going because unless we have a huge annoying amount of people asking for it, God might not answer that because he doesn't think we're serious enough. We may raise the cards in the way that we think is theologically responsible, but in our actions, when things really happen, when the cancer strikes, when the marriage begins to fall apart, when the auto accident happens, when the funeral happens, we throw all of the answers that you just said away and we try to figure out what's the system because I've got to get God's attention. And if I don't get his full attention, I may not get his full miracle. And so we have to talk about that today. It all comes down to this question, why does God answer some prayers and not others. What's your experience been? What have you seen? Why do you think God answers some prayers and not others? Or where have you been frustrated where you see God answering someone else's prayer and they don't seem very serious and you fervently prayed and God did not answer your prayer? Over here. Sure. God answers prayers. Mm -hmm. He may not give us the answer we want, but he answers but why does it feel like a no is silence? Why does it feel like no is a non-answer? And, that, and that's really difficult, isn't it? Well, we are not all-knowing as God is. Yeah. And he knows what the correct answer for us is. Mm -hmm. And so it's best that our baby dies. It's best that 
our husband, who is a sole breadwinner, passes away and leaves us without any income. It's best that our marriage fall apart. Well, I can, well, I can answer two of those. Good. I didn't expect you to answer. I was just teasing with you. Because well, if someone were to put me on the spot like that, I'd say, you're a jerk. Go away. Well, you're, you know me. I do. Okay. So I have answers. <laughs> <laughs> I am in trouble now, guys. Just, just, you guys just read ahead, all right? While Sharon and I are talking here, just pay no attention to what's about to happen. Okay, you speak of the divorce. Yeah. I'm the one who filed for divorce mm -hmm. in my first marriage. Yeah. When I called my mother, I thought I would get you-know-what from my mother. Yeah. When I called her and told her, Mom, I filed for divorce, she says, you should have done that 10 years ago. Wow. wow. So divorce is not a happy time. Mm -mm. But OK, you asked for divorce, mm -hmm. I gave you. Yeah. Now, what was the other thing you mentioned? <laughs> if you think I'm going to give you more ammunition, you are. You are silly. Well, you said about um, a spouse dying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My first husband remarried. Yeah. He was on medication for high blood pressure. He decided on his own to discontinue that medication without doctors knowing about it. So he had injected a, a patient waiting for the anesthesia to take place, and another dentist was talking with him. He started slurring his speech and whatnot. Mm. Bottom line, he had a massive stroke. Mm. And before the doctors could get in, the bleed in his brain was the size of a grapefruit. Mm. And he never totally recovered from that. And he died from all of that. So, I look at that as, well, he made a choice that precipitated the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Well, his then wife, you know, had the brethren come in and put the oil, anoint him with oil and all that. And I look at as, to it as, he did this to himself. Mm. So, you're going to pray for him to get well? Mm. Anoint him to get well? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> Remind me never to get on your bad side, all right? Because I know I'll never get any prayers from you. It was my choice. I'm out. Over here, red mic. God, <laughs> I think God does answer all prayers. Yeah? Uh, we don't understand. We don't have the capacity to understand uh, an all-powerful God. Yeah. Uh, but just like our children ask us for things and we have to say no to them, yeah. it's not because we're not answering them, it's because they don't like the answer that we're giving them. Hmm. Uh, they, we might have to tell them, you know, you have to wait until it's a better time. We might have to tell them, you know, it's not healthy for you. Hmm. And uh, I think God gives us the same answers uh, as that. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up that perspective because we're going to be talking about, uh, about a parent's perspective and a parent's love coming up. You are a man ahead of your time, about 20 minutes <laughs> ahead of your time. But you are ahead of your time because that's where we're going 
to talk about a parent's perspective because Jesus brings in a parent's perspective. Dave. You made a comment uh, earlier about uh, sending out the emails and getting the prayer chain going. And, uh-huh. and uh, I was involved in a case about a year and a half ago and I was representing a saintly lady and she's having a dispute with her brother and uh, it was quite significant and the other side said we need to get together and and settle this case and I said well I I don't think we can settle the case because your client uh, isn't controllable he's not taking your counsel and your wisdom and the other side begged and begged to go to mediation we finally said you know if you can promise that your client will listen to your counsel we'll agree and we got that assurance but nevertheless I still had my doubts and my misgivings about the whole thing we went down to LA went to the mediator and my client explained to me that she had a prayer chain across the nation and she was constantly in prayer I had my doubts at the beginning of the day at the end of the day much to my surprise the other side capitulated to pretty much everything that we had asked for, which was entirely reasonable. Mm -hmm. And when I look back on what happened... (laughs) No bitterness there. (laughs) Did you still get paid? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) She was the best client ever. She'd asked me two days after the end of the month, how much do I owe you? I'm sending you a check. So she was wonderful. But when I look back at what happened... um, and, and I just thought the Lord had to have been there and impressed. And the other part of it was is that in the next room, John Tesh and his wife, Connie Selica, were there. And, and if anybody of you familiar with John Tesh, you will know he is a man of faith. Mm-hmm. And I just had this sense that God's spirit was in that entire floor that day and worked. A miracle. I mean, because everything that happened before this did not signal that what ended up was going to happen. And so I am a believer in prayer chains and people fervently praying and constantly praying. Yes. And that, to me, was an example. Yes. That this lady set for me. Thank you so much. I, I, I'm glad you said that because uh, those who are new here don't, don't know my methodology is to agitate you. Um, and so I'll say things and they're like, well, he doesn't believe in, in prayer. He doesn't believe in prayer teams and this guy. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we believe in systems more than we do in prayer. And so it is not, thank you, David, because it is not in any way wrong or uh, weak to get a group together and get everyone praying because Christ himself said wherever two or three, he starts multiplying this factor. So there is something there, but you cannot simply say what's the formula to get exactly what I want because then you say when I don't get what I want, I must have done the formula wrong instead of asking, well, what was God's will? And so thank you for clarifying uh, with that because I do believe in the power of group prayer We've seen the power of, of group within our prayer for God to reveal himself in this community, and he's definitely come. You can feel God's presence the moment you step in this, in this amphitheater, can't you? I mean, it is electric when we walk in. Um, 
it doesn't feel that way. I'm sorry. Uh, it doesn't feel that way on any other day of the week when I walk in here. But God's presence is here because we're here. And so there is something going on when groups get together and are intentional about seeking God. But as we're going to see in today's kingdom tale, Christ wants to help you to balance that, to understand why is there power to certain methods of prayer or certain approaches and mindsets to prayer. Now, you mentioned uh, John Tesh. I have a photo of John Tesh and my hair. John Tesh is extremely tall. And back in 1997, I was, I was at uh, Gospel Music Association Week. I was a, a musician at that time. And he was at this Gospel Music Association Week. And I got a picture taken. But back then, remember we had those disposable cardboard cameras? And that viewfinder was really for suggested purposes only. Um, and so I have a picture of the top of my head. So you see my hair. But John Tash is, is like a Wookiee. That guy is so tall, really tall. And so I have a picture of John Tash and my hair. I'm, and I, I'm very proud of that moment. Yes, back here. Um, two quick things. One, it's interesting. Um, this week particularly, I've been thinking I, I just must not be praying right. Do I put my hands up? Do I put my hands down? Do I, do I kneel? Do I, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm struggling with that this week. Is, is there a right way? Yeah. The other point I wanted to make is um, there's two major things that I pray about, which are my boys. And um, I don't get an answer, <coughs> but I get help through it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I'm clinging to, is yeah. just his help through it. Yeah. And maybe someday we'll get an answer, but right now he's just helping me through. It, exactly. And that's the most difficult thing. And a lot of people uh, were nodding their heads. I'm shocked I didn't see a, a ton of Love It cards, but it's probably because they were just really, there we go, uh, deeply letting that sink in. Because the reality is, just like you, one of the most stressful things is raising your kids. You're just so fearful that you are going to do something wrong in transmitting something to them uh, or, or have done something wrong, yes, uh, that you regret how you interacted uh, when the reality is um, you as God's child <laughs> in the same way as your child with you, uh, they're not looking for methodology. They're looking for relationship. They're looking for influence from the parent. But ultimately, when they ask you for help, they're... Kids don't necessarily, and if they do, this is something you can work on, but uh, <laughs> they typically don't want you to do their work. They, they want your support to help them accomplish something. And in the same way, God comes in to say, let me help you accomplish something. Because what you're praying for is an answer, but what I'm offering is support. And at times, when it fits within God's massive infinite system, he says, you know, it is in my best interest to change the laws of physics in this situation in order to bring about ultimately the solution I'm looking for personally with you or your loved one's life that you're praying for. And in those times when we see this, something that cannot be explained any other way other than miracle, we see that God says, okay, yeah, it does fit within my plan. The hard thing is when God says, I'd love to, but ultimately my plan is best fulfilled if we don't touch it. 
And that's the hard part. Now, we're going to go through a whole series on prayer. I almost didn't do this kingdom tale in this series. I almost pulled it out and did a different one simply because it talks about prayer so much. And we are doing a series on prayer coming up. But there's another twin parable just like this we're going to use during that one, the persistent widow. And it's very, very similar. Uh, just the, the cast of characters is, is pretty much changed. Other than that, it's saying very much the same thing about um, why does God answer prayers and why does he not at different times? Over here. Julie. Since I was a little kid, the first prayer that I learned was to pray for my dad to come to church yeah. with us. <clears throat> and I've been praying it for like my entire life. Yeah. My church at home, other family members, and every once in a while he'll like start to come for a little while and appear to soften. And then for whatever unknown reason, just close down and refuse. You know, it's very discouraging to pray for something. Mm-hmm. so often and for, for nothing, you know, nothing to happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't really understand the wisdom mm-hmm. of that. I mean, maybe we're just not patient enough, but mm-hmm. decades of prayer have gone by. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Thank, thank you for giving voice to something that so many of us feel. You remember as a kid growing up and you'd ask your parents for something that was a simple yes or no answer. Can we do this? Can we go? Can we go to Disneyland? Can we do this? Can we do that? And if your parents ever said, we'll see, <laughs> it just, just, it just put a Sharpie through that one. It's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Living life, praying for something, and the response that you sense you're getting back from God is, we'll see, is extremely discouraging. And in prayers, just like what Julie mentioned, that you consistently and regularly pray for, and you pray for years, decades even, and it feels like God's saying, we'll see. What picture of God do you get from that? This is the desperate reason why we need to hear Jesus' voice today in this parable so that we'll understand how do you live during the we'll see moments. Now, we see the cards up. We're going to get to you, but I want us to make sure we run this through the filter of Scripture so we don't miss something along the way and get right down to the end, and we aren't able to see what Jesus ultimately was trying to say about God's character. We're going to take a look at Christ's kingdom tale in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. It's typically called the parable of a friend at midnight, and uh, the NIV reads this way. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread, because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks 
for an egg will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So hold on to your questions and comments for a second because I want to make sure you understand what's being said here. We get a lot of things lost in translation. But first of all, in looking at the details of this story, I want you to understand the words that they heard. First of all, verse 5, very beginning of what we read. Jesus chooses a time, midnight. A lot of people have tried to figure out what does this mean? Uh, is there a significance uh, to midnight? You see the Greek word there. It literally means midnight. And so ultimately, it, this would be a, a fairly believable story. Most of the people, when they were traveling long distances, remember, this is desert country. You would want to travel at night and hunker down in the shade by day. And so a lot of people travel by night, but it took a lot longer sometimes than you wanted it to take, especially if you're taking a bunch of stuff. And so in this case, it's midnight. Even though people regularly traveled at midnight, this was still very much an ungodly hour. Okay? This was not a time to wake people up. This is extremely inconvenient even for the culture that this was told. So the neighbor, uh, the, the main star of the show, runs over to his neighbor, knocks on the door at midnight, asking for loaves of bread. Those of us uh, here in the Western culture, if someone came and they came a lot later than we expected or surprised us, hey, we were just passing through, can we stay at your house tonight? You let them stay but you definitely wouldn't say, ooh, I don't have any food. Let me go to my neighbor. Let me wake my neighbor up and have him give me food for my friend that just showed up on my doorstep. Anybody that would do that in here, you are not my friend, and I pray you're not my neighbor. <laughs> we don't do that in Western society, do we? You know why? Because our culture is extremely different. When someone came into a village during the time of Christ and before, the guest was not a guest of the one house or the one tent. Any guest that came into your village was a guest of the village. And the responsibility for the guest was not on the individual friend. The responsibility to show hospitality was for the entire village. If the village did not take care of the guest's needs, it was shame on the village, not shame on the friend. There was shame involved because you as a village were a horrible village. So, it was not simply the responsibility of the guy knocking on the outside of the door. It was a responsibility of the guy inside the door to make sure this guy had food. Now, it's mentioned that there's three loaves of bread. There is a significance to three loaves because back in, this day, in, in the day of the parable as well, they didn't have utensils like fork, knives, and spoons. And they didn't even use chopsticks. They used bread. They used bread. You would take a, a, and rip off a piece of, of bread. And uh, if it was like pita bread, you would rip off some. You'd curve it up in your hand. And you would scoop up from the common bowl in the middle of the, uh, the blanket on the floor. And so basically what he's saying is, I don't have any clean silverware. Okay? I need some silverware. Can I have some? Because my friend can't eat unless we have utensils. And so he's asking for utensils, bread, something very, very common. 
three is significant because it really, <laughs> three little uh, things of pita bread really is only enough utensils for one person's meal. You went through a lot of bread. And so ultimately, he's just trying to take care of the one friend, and he's coming over because his friend can't eat without the bread utensil. The man on the inside of the house says, don't bother me. My children and I are in bed. Now, this was a commoner's home, a typical blue-collar resident in the village. (laughs) Can you still hear me? Good. Maybe just hit that button right in the back there. I think uh, it just got leaned against. Awesome. Don't, don't doze off. I've heard of what happens with Paul in those places. Great. All right. Good. They'll take care of it. So, ultimately, this is not a rich person's home, which means that um, it's a one-room home. And chances are, uh, it's a dirt floor. And so they would have this little elevated platform that they'd put the mats on, and everyone would sleep in one area. There was no such thing as a bedroom. There was a bed area. And they would roll out the mats. And so the parents, the kids, the cousins, and oh, great, we got one more guest, are all (laughs) going to sleep on that one area. So when the man is yelling at the guy outside knocking on the door, he says, well, first of all, I already placed that big piece of wood, the lock, on the door, and so that's going to make a lot of noise. Secondly, you're making noise by knocking on my door. If I get up and I'm stepping over, I'm going to step on one of my kids. They're going to start crying. It's going to wake them up and all the other kids. It's going to wake the wife up. She's going to be upset. I'm sorry, but it's extremely inconvenient for me in this time and where I am. If I get up, the whole house is up. So... In verse 8, we see the difference between is this a quality friend or, or a non-quality friend? Is this quality or is the person on the outside of the door someone that you'll do it because you're really close and you really want to help them out? Or are you just doing it because you know this person is going to stop? This person is not going to stop. Just like your four-year-old, they just don't get it. They will keep asking until, okay, okay, fine. Here you go. And so ultimately, Jesus says that the man did not help because he was literally a quality friend. He helped because of the neighbor's shameless audacity. Now, (laughs) a couple of fun things to look at is the man on the outside is calling the man on the inside friend. Does the man on the inside ever refer to him back as friend? Not a friend at that hour. Okay, you're an inconvenience. So the guy on the inside doesn't want to help the guy on the outside, but because the guy on the outside is so bold, has a shameless audacity, the guy on the inside says, I got to do it. I got to do it. I mean, he's really putting himself out there just even knocking on our door. So ultimately, it brings us to a question. Is God the tired sleepy man who doesn't want to get up and unlock the door. What would that say about God, and does that contradict the God that we've studied about thus far? What's our challenge here? Because why would Jesus tell a story like this, trying to help people understand how to pray? Because just before this, in Luke, it's his disciples saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. 
And he teaches Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And then to explain how to pray, he had just shown them the mechanics of prayer. Now he's showing them how to pray. He tells a story about a guy who doesn't want to answer the request of the guy outside the door. What's the problem here? It doesn't fit the character of God, does it? What are the challenges that we're seeing here? Jay. A couple of points um, that bother me about how we approach prayer, and I think we misunderstand a a lot. And uh, when you go back to another thing that Jesus said when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, um, pray like this, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. But the question that that brings up in my mind is, so is that implying that God's will is not being done on earth? And if that's the case, why not? And the, the thing that's come to my mind is that we're not in a perfect world yet and there are other forces at work in our world um, that don't have any interest in God's will being done. Yeah. And so I think when we pray that God's will is done, that it, it opens up a new window for God to act in different ways that he could not. Because the, the, question, the other question that I think a lot of people have in the back of their mind but never ask it is why why isn't god doing something for me already you know if this is his will why does he have to wait for me to pray and uh, and then the other point is i think we pray a lot of wimpy prayers because mm-hmm. we uh we use these phrases, you know, if, if it's your will, because we pray something really bold and audacious, mm-hmm. and then we tack on, well, if, if it's your will. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't I, like I, that. No, I, I love this, because you're, you're getting into some of the granular issues dealing with it. Ultimately, the question that you, you bring up, because if we follow that line of reasoning, we get down to the place and say, well, I guess I didn't knock the secret knock. And because, and this is how people actually uh, spell this out in reality. I hear this phrase all the time, and it drives me nuts. I mean, if you say it to me, it's okay. I'll still love you. But it drives me nuts. Well, maybe God didn't answer my prayer because I haven't been living right. I haven't been doing what I should be doing. And so why should I expect God to answer my prayer? Once again... This is a transactional relationship, and God doesn't offer transactional love. It's called agape, and it's non-human for a reason, because human love is always transactional. Hey, I did this for you. I was so nice to you, and then you just treat me like a jerk. I'm not going to be nice to you anymore. It's transactional. I have to get something out of my love to you. You have to reflect that back to me. At least reflect it. Even if it's not sincere, at least, at least pretend like you're going to reflect it. The challenge is, as we look at this, if we continue to, to run that through its course, Jay, 
is it leads us to believe that God only opens the door and answers our prayer request if we are doing exactly what God's will is for our lives. And I'm trying really hard, but I'm not even doing the exact will of God because my own will is getting in the way all the time. And because of that, I have to be really careful not to say, the reason why God gets up is because I'm doing what I should, because we can see even in the story, why does the man get up? Is it because his neighbor is mowing his lawn nicely? Is making sure he didn't paint the house that hideous color he had planned on doing it, but he checked with you and made sure he wasn't doing it? Is he being a great neighbor and he's coming over, he's brought you bread before, and so now it's your chance to reciprocate. No, the parable says the only reason why the man got up is because of shameless audacity. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. You're not really that good of a neighbor. But because of your shameless audacity, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it. That's what was said. Who had the next comment? Michael. Prayer is the most intimate in my view, most intimate conversation we have with anyone. Mm -hmm. Because, among other things, we're honest in our prayers. At least I, I believe we are. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to be dishonest in your prayers. Yes, you, it is. Yeah. Get, get me out of this, and I'll I promise I'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but God knows, and you know what you're thinking in your head. Yes. If I can. Yeah. When I was going through a divorce, I prayed about it constantly, and it's, it took about a two-year period to get this completed. And I was talking to my son, um, who was an adult, and I said to him, because he was asking me about why you're getting the divorce, and I, I said, well, I won't give you this trite saying that I'm doing this because it's really the best thing for your mother. And I said, no, I'm doing it for myself. And I said, I'll tell you what I'd like to know. He says, what's that? I said, I'd like to have clarity that what I'm doing is the correct thing. He just laughed at me. He says, clarity, God gets clarity. You get to do life. Mm. And that's as true today mm. as it was then regarding any prayer requests that I make. Mm. I don't have God's clarity. Yeah. I just have my own human perception. Wow, what a great perspective. Over here. I think I forgot what I was going to say, but... Um, <laughs> it doesn't stop yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, me neither, obviously, right? Um, I was just... Regarding prayer, around 16 years ago, I was in my early 40s, and I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I had chemo, you know, radiation, all the typical treatments, and there was a lady right around my age. She had teenagers, just like I did, and we used to pray together. We were both going to chemo. About four months later, maybe three months, I didn't see her, and I asked one of the nurses, and she said, oh, um, her numbers got too low, so she has to take a few weeks off. Um, I don't know, another month or two passed, and I finished my chemo, and then I went in later for other appointments, and I asked the nurse, and she told me um, she passed away. Mm -hmm. So it had probably been about a total of six months, mm -hmm. and I mean, it hit me almost as bad as when I got the diagnosis. Yeah. Here was this lady right around my age, teenage kids, I think she was four years older. Teenage kids like mine, we were both praying. Um, believe me, we wanted to live more than anything, okay? 
when you have kids, that's just part of it, I think. At least it was for us. Yeah. And I remember going home, talking with my husband and saying, why is she gone and I'm still here? Mm -hmm. And I still don't know that answer. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm any better than she was absolutely not. I don't think my prayers went further or my family, nothing like that. Yeah. It's just life, there is, I see it as good and evil. Yeah. And we have to live in this world the way it is. Yeah. And we never know outcomes. Um, when it comes to prayer, I know my husband would get embarrassed with me because I would ask everyone to pray. I mean, if I knew you, you were praying for me. Yeah. But it wasn't because of a system. Yeah. It really wasn't. I just felt like I needed that. Yeah. And, you know. Mm -hmm. He told me once, why don't you just hire a blimp and put up there, pray for Terry, she has cancer. And I said, ooh, that's a great idea. I wonder how much it cost. So, you know, it, it, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, we're all different on how we handle things. Yeah. Some people get very, you know, like, in, you know, embarrassed. They don't want to tell people. Yeah. I definitely was not that way. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it's hard to understand. It's extremely hard to understand, especially uh, it's, there's almost spiritual survivor's guilt where those who have received a miracle that you cannot answer any other way than God stepped in and spared your life. It's extremely difficult because a lot of people come up and, and we all have different viewpoints, but some people say, well, God spared you because he still has something for you to do. And I'm like, oh, you didn't have anything for them to do? Okay, I guess they were... I wish I didn't have anything else to do. The next thought I'd have is Jesus coming again. Um, but we have to be really, really careful because what we say as a compliment to one person is definitely a put down to someone else who might not have received an answer that their loved ones or they themselves desired. So it's extremely difficult. We are going to come back to that when we talk about prayer. Jordy. So when I listen to this parable... Um, I pretty much disregard all the after part, and I look at the, at the initial story of, of the man asking for the bread, and I get a sense of almost nostalgia, even though that's never happened to me. Um, we here, we look at prayer as something that, uh, that is a means to an end, um, and lots of times they're minor things. Obviously not when it comes to, you know, cancer or these huge life-changing things, but how many times have we prayed that we had enough food or enough money or enough, you know, things that a fellow human being could help us out with? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying we all go to our neighbor, but I, I can't count the amount of times that I've gone with my parents when I was younger to a, a church in another country, mm -hmm. and we had food that Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think lots of times we're praying for things that, or other people are praying for things that stuff we can do. Mm -hmm. And I, I sometimes wish we had this kind of community where even if it's not because we're the best of friends, but simply because we're ashamed to not help, mm -hmm. uh, that we could reach across and say, hey, sure, I'll give you bread. Sure, I'll wake up my whole family. And yes, you're being annoying, but it's the thing to do. That's what I think about. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I love that. And I love uh, how you've segmented out this parable. Um, a lot of people have, have done that. 
and I, I love the conclusion that you've come to, but I want to show you a second conclusion that we also need to come to, and the only way we can get to that conclusion is by looking at the second half. Because if you just look at the first half, you see God is a grumpy, sleepy guy who says, seriously, I'm only going to give it to you because you are a nag, okay? That's, all, that's the only reason why I'm getting up. You have shameless audacity. That's, that's the only reason why I'm getting up. If we only read just the story and we stop where Jesus tries to unpack the story and explain how to pray to God what God's character responds to, we will completely misunderstand the true character of God in these situations. And so I want you to go back and I want you to look at verse 9. So I say to you. In other words, he's saying, therefore, everything I just said, let me unpack it. Which means that what comes next is more important than what came before in understanding the character of God. So he says in verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seeking you will find. Knocking the door will be open to you. You're like, great, I've tried asking, seeking, and knocking, and I still feel like God's saying, we'll see. So if you stop there, you're still frustrated, right? Because it may say that God has a character that says, yeah, ask me anytime, but he's like the friend of yours that says, you can call me anytime, day or night, and you've called, you've texted, you've left a message, and you go that whole night without a response. You've been there too. And so you think, perhaps God is like, eh, I don't know. And then you start going back and saying, well, it's because I'm not living right. Well, that's all of us. No one is perfect, not one. So all of us look at this and say, well, obviously it's because God needs to show me how serious I need to get. And until I get myself into right relationship with God, God will not get into right relationship with me. And we start thinking about this in human terms as far as God is transactional, and because I haven't done what I need to do, God's going to say, well, you earned it, and you deserved it. Don't expect Sharon to pray for you. <laughs> it was your choice. The thing you're praying for is a result of your consequences of your choices. And we go through this, and we're like, oh, I'm so sorry, God. And we start cowering like a child who gets backhanded by their parent. The moment that kid's, you see them out and about. You see that kid that he's like, he's backhand shy because he's, he's received it so many times. And, and, and we attribute to God, who is love, a character that is anything but. I'm so thankful that Jesus went on. Otherwise, we would misunderstand the character of God because he goes on. To say, look, my desire is to answer your request every time you ask, seek, or knock. I'm there. I'm constantly available. It's the ever-present Spirit of God. I am always there. I told you in human terms what would happen. Now let me show you something completely different. We miss something here because we don't speak Hebrew, most of us. But something happens here in... in uh, how Jesus told it. It's translated into, into Greek, but the Jewish form of, of speaking, you see right there on the back of your form, it's, it's a, a way that the rabbis used to speak very frequently when they're trying in this poetic way to give you compare and contrast. And it, this type is actually called qual wahomer. And it's an argument, the qual wahomer argument, which goes like this. It's based on the assumption that if 
A is true, how much more must B be true? But Jesus takes it one step further. If A is true, how much more is B true? And let me show you, you haven't seen nothing yet, there's a C. I'm going to show you C, which is so true, it's absolutely sparkling, perfect truth. And so let's take a look at what he's doing from verses 11 through 13. He told a story, if you stop there, you think God's a jerk. If you read 11 through 13, you're speechless. Because this is what happens. He says, look, okay, if this is true, then this is true, and let me tell you how much more. So, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, he'll give him a snake? If you ask for an egg, you'll give him a scorpion? There's the A's and the B's, okay? You're not going to do it, are you? It's an argument. Those of you who are parents, it says father, it's Mother's Day here, so uh, let's say mothers too. You wouldn't do that. If you do that, CPS will be called and your kids will be taken away. We just don't do that. It's just not proper behavior. You would never dream of doing that, is what Jesus is saying. So if you, a human who is fallible, would never ever do that, how much more would your Father in Heaven make sure that the best answer, the best answer to that request is given to you, the person knocking at the door? seeking in the person who was asking. How much more does God want to do that? So ultimately, we come back to um, verse 13. If you then, though you're evil, uh, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit who will ask them? There's two things we have to look at. I'm going to do it backwards. So when you pray, you're knocking, you're asking, you're seeking. When you pray, what is God's consistent answer every single time? The Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this. We talked about this earlier, especially when we were talking about raising our kids back here. We want answers. God gives support. Right here, verse 13, you say, God, please, be with this situation. Your will be done. Bring the healing. Bring the restoration of a relationship. Change reality. And what does God immediately do? He always answers with this. He sends his holy presence, and you're, you are surrounded in that moment with the presence of God. One of the biggest fears that we all have is when something happens and we're we're separated from help. We're calling, we're calling 911, we're calling our family. You can't fill out an application anywhere without an emergency contact, can you? When you pray, the top number on your emergency contact is the Holy Spirit, and He's there immediately. So as you are praying for things, God, number one, says, look, you're praying the A, B thing. Uh, you, you know someone that didn't care would do this, but someone that does care will do this. I'm going to give you the C option, which is I'm going to bring out the big guns. The actual tangible presence of God with you in that moment. So even though you may not be getting what you want in the moment, you're getting all the care you need because in that moment, the Holy Spirit is present, is there. But I think the phrase that's overlooked in verse 13, much more than any other phrase in the entire 
um, section of scripture there is the three-word phrase, how much more. This is the key phrase to the entire parable that Christ spent time teaching his disciples. We look at the jerk inside not wanting to get up. Jesus wants you to look at the phrase, how much more? Because you would be the guy saying, go away, don't bother me. God says, no, 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 no. How much more would I do for you than this guy? I'm not that guy. I am in no way that guy. How much more will your Father in heaven make sure you're taken care of, your prayers are answered, no matter whether you're good, bad, or ugly, it doesn't matter. God will send exactly what you need, the presence of God in that moment. And when you have the Holy Spirit doing triage, you have excellent care. You hear what I'm saying? When the Holy Spirit himself, who has all wisdom, of past, present, and future, is on the scene doing triage exactly what needs to happen will happen. When we talk about prayer and the will of God coming up in in the weeks and, and months and possibly years to come, it will become more clear to us. It won't make us happier, but it will become more clear to us why in God's triage that he looks down and he says, you know what, in, in this case, the answer is not going to be what you want and we're both going to cry over it. If you're sad, if it hurts you, how much more? This week as you're going through your journey to get to know the character of God, will you just continue repeating the phrase, how much more? If you want something to happen, if you want God to be present, if you need a miracle, if you want your relationships restored, if, if you want your family member to be cured, how much more does your heavenly father want that to happen? If you're broken, if you're sad, if you're in pain, if you long for Jesus to come and change everything and create the new heaven and the new earth where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, how much more does your heavenly father wish for that? If your kids, your family, your parents don't want to study the Bible, go to church, have a relationship with God, how much more? When you pray, that's the position that Jesus talked about. He wants you to have this audacity. Just audacity to say, God, I know. I know in my heart of hearts that as much emotion as I have behind this, how much more you have. And as much as I love my kids, I love my family, I love my parents, I love my my friends, the people who are not apparently connected with God right now, how much more does God love and care for them? I think that gives us a lot of peace but I think it also gives us a lot more audacity, doesn't it? As we pray this week to a God who wants to hear you ask, wants to see you seek, and wants to hear your knock, have that audacity, the confidence in knowing that it has been open to you. Because how much more does God want you there than even you do. 
That's incredibly good news for me. I hope it is for you too. And I hope you let that sink into your core of how much God loves you. Now, I hope that you will come back because in the next episode, we're going to take a look at what was Jesus saying when he's talking about you wouldn't put a new patch on an old garment. You wouldn't put new wine in old wineskins. I had always heard it was something else, but when we took a look at what Jesus was talking about, wow, does his character shine through again. So I hope you don't miss it. And I also want to invite you, if you are in any way going to be close to Loma Linda, I would love to have you at the Bible Lab, but I will tell you, we have a seating problem, and so if you're going to come, I want it to be a great experience. So please know that you can reserve seats at the Bible Lab by going to our website, thebiblelab.com, and on the contact page, let us know who you are, how many are coming, and what date you will be there, and we will reserve your seats for you so you won't have a problem. I am just so absolutely honored that you're going on this journey with us and i just pray that this week god will completely overwhelm you with his incredible character of love and help you share that with someone you come into contact with this week i sure hope to see you back for the next episode and god bless you until then Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.